Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Music Biz Podcast, presented by HypeBot.com. I'm your host, Courtney Harding, and when I'm not hosting this podcast, I do business development and thought leadership consulting for startups. Today, I'm joined by Kenna, who is a musician, an entrepreneur, and many other things that we will talk about. Kenna has released two albums and five EPs, and later in this podcast, we'll talk about why those terms are problematic. And he's also served as the chief vision officer for the relaunch of MySpace, among other tech endeavors. So, Kenna, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Courtney. What's up? Yay. All right. So that was a pretty quick introduction. Yeah. You've done a lot of cool stuff. So tell the listeners a little bit more about your past and your current products, projects. Um, well, I, uh, I think that was a really great introduction, and I don't know how much I can fill in the blanks, but I mean, I'm obviously an artist um, first. Um, that's my home. That's where I live. That's what I do. But outside of that, of course, as an artist in this new world that we live in, technology is a very big part of how we communicate to our constituencies and and how we actually reach the world. And so uh, I've spent a lot of time developing um, different platforms, different projects that uh, accentuate the connectivity between talent and influence, as well as how we might be able to be a part of each other's uh, future in, in the side of social impact and support of global clean water crisis is a big issue for me. So um, in, the, in the support of issues around the world that are important, um, I feel like my main focus is innovation. My, my goal is always to push the boundaries in music, but inclusively adding technology and philanthropy um, is kind of the the vision overall. So, yeah. So you are very modest, I have to say, and I, I appreciate that because I talk to a lot of people who aren't. But <laughs> you know, you've done stuff like climb Kilimanjaro for clean water. It's not like you were like, oh, I'm going to like put out a song, which is you know great and and valid, and, and artists should do that. But like. You like climbed a mountain, and you did a whole thing about that. So, t- so tell our listeners about that. Like, that's a really cool, interesting thing that combined music, tech, and philanthropy, and climbing a mountain in an interesting way. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, I left my. You know, I've always wanted to be uh, the Black Bono, and so uh, the dream. That's such a weird statement, but at the exact same time it just really came down to being able to be an artist and actually tell great stories and also have an impact on the world in a positive way. And I feel like um, we all as artists try try to find ways to do that, but um, are sometimes thwarted by the industry because of you know the way that it's set up and the way that we're able to use our our power and our um, our you know existence. And so I left label system. Um, probably, you know, eight years ago now, <clears throat> to uh, pursue uh, philanthropy full time because I felt like there was there is an inextricable link between art and cause. Before there was a music industry, I would be a busker on the street, and I felt like the internet was the biggest third street promenade in the world. And my responsibility as an artist was to find a way to um, to reach the people who were out there through that medium. Um, but I wanted to understand how that applied to uh, causes a broad sense. And so building Kilimanjaro Project was actually very much about 
raising awareness for clean water. My dad had a waterborne disease as a child. I'm from Ethiopia, so it's very much close to my family. But the big picture of it was also to kind of um, build a model. And it was technically my third album, Summit on the Summit, was the project. And it was my third album. And the people who sang on that album were Jessica Beale and Lupe Fiasco and Santi Gold and Isabel Lucas and Jimmy Chin who was the is in the first 20 pages of crack hours into thin air and um these social mavens and cause cause oriented people who were practitioners in the field they all went with us and climbed this mountain but they also represented completely different verticals in the world people who um you know Jessica Biel would be in style magazine and people magazine but you'd have Lupe and hip hop um outlets as well as like Santi Golden, the alternative side of things. Like each person spoke to a completely different world, both traditional media as well as social media and their constituencies and their fan bases. And we were able to really extend our reach um, through that. And then I, you know, went to brands that were really big partners for that same project with Procter and Gamble, um, Intel, um, Delta. And we actually had them be the Medicis for the project. And inevitably, um, we went to our distribution partner, which was MTV at the time. And I think for me, it was it was a way to aggregate the power of my friendships and relationships to, to focus on a subject that's really important, a human right. Um, and then we focused all that energy towards Washington and advocacy and ended up being a part of um, supporting the $400 million that were uh, reappropriated to clean water that year it was zero and we we were there i sang rome wasn't built in a day to congressman lowey on the way to the vote um to see that money come into light and i think um you know that's that's the mission of an that that's the power of of influence and artists that come together for meaningful things whether it be for art itself or for the world and so i think that's pretty much the intersection of all the things I just said, innovation um, as a project, um, Summit on the Summit was an innovation project, but it had music, it had um, influence, it had technology, and it had philanthropy all rolled up in one. So those are the kind of platforms I like to build, things that are rich and have um, the power to um, impact the world and create paradigm shifts, hopefully. Hopefully. That's awesome. So, you know, one of the things that I think about with a lot of activism and digital activism is bridging the gap between digital activism and sort of physical activism, for lack of a better term. So, you know, I see a lot of people very quickly write off, you know, Twitter activism or, you know, people who just want to hashtag everything and call it a day. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, right? Like, it's not that helpful if you're just using some hashtag and not doing much else. The flip side is, you know, I think a lot of people are, in fact, educated and enlightened and discover causes and can now, in fact, donate much more easily to causes or be involved more easily because of the web. So how do you sort of make sure that whatever activism you do doesn't just stay on the web and doesn't just sort of, you know, get caught in someone saying, oh, I tweeted something about clean water. So that's my good deed for the day. But like, really, it didn't do much. Well, I, I I get it. It's like it's slacktivism, basically, is what you're yeah. talking about. Is that the the idea that you can like and share something? Um, <clears throat> like and share are two different things. I think it depends on what your goals are. You know, I think uh, 
if your goals are awareness, which was Summit on the Summit's goal was awareness, I, I less likely ask people to donate money. It's a difficult time in the world financially, and a lot of people can't really put their dollars um, in anything but themselves right now. I mean, I, I respect that. I focused on advocacy because our government has our money, and they may or may not be spending it well. And so if I can help uh, you know, create a path or irrigate a path towards wherever the, wa- the money should go, water specifically, then that's what my goals are. And so all those likes and shares really do matter to projects that I create because I, I'm really just trying to build that constituency voice. Um, but I think that some of the other you know, platforms and NGOs that are looking for action, they have to create engaging opportunities for people. We built a 19,000-foot website. So it was the first ever 19,000-foot website on the web. And I think um, it, was, it was curiosity that killed the cat. And a lot of people came in to look at that and to follow along. They also wanted to know about, more about the people who were actually active, involved in the project. And we gave them that information through behaviorally optimized you know, um, uh, uh, platforms and gaming systems that were there to help people just feel like they were involved as well as engaged to win things, to be a part of it. Um, we want we want people to feel like they give and get. I think people think philanthropy is is all give, but I really believe that there's a there's a way to do well and be well, and there's a way for people to feel like they're a part of something and give, but also get at the same time. So. Um, I think that's really, that's really very much about how it is with music, how it is with with um, philanthropy as well. I think both of, in both cases, we're we're looking for people to give and get at the same time. Well, and I feel like the other thing that the web does that's interesting is it allows people who are actually impacted to have their voices amplified. So when you mentioned the sort of Black Bono thing. You know, it's it's still crazy to me that Do They Know It's Christmas, after all, gets played every year. Because right. I listen to that song, and I watch the video, and I'm always, again, like, I'm horrified by it. I'm like, <laughs> I get it. I get that it came from a time and place, and it came from a very well-meaning, well-intentioned place. Right. But to actually listen to the song and just sort of and think of who was singing it and whose voices were heard in that and whose voices weren't heard. And the fact that the people who actually were suffering were just these nameless, silent, sad looking people and not people actually standing like next to Bono and saying like, yeah, this is terrible. This is happening to us. But this sort of, they're like, these people don't even know that it's Christmas. Right. Many of them probably also don't celebrate Christmas, but Hey, (laughs) like it's that type of, and you know, I feel like the one thing that that's interesting now with technology and philanthropy is people who actually are directly like, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, if we were talking about the Syrian refugee crisis that's happening now, it would have been like the sob story and these silent images of like, you know, sad people in a refugee camp now I can go on Snapchat or Instagram or literally any social platform and follow actual refugees and follow their stories and engage with them and hear what they have to say. Right. So I think that's been a huge shift in the way that we think about philanthropy in regards to technology. Yeah. Matter of fact, I mean, I think the key, the, 
the real issue of what you were talking about was the fact that we weren't really paying attention. It's ignorance because we don't really pay attention to what it is the people actually need versus what it is we think is 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 horrible. Um, you know, I I think you know you go to uh, you go to some of these uh, developing nations and you see kids with flies in their faces and you you have this question mark like how can they live like that? But they're not really stressed out about the flies. They're actually really stressed out about the fact that they don't have clean water. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it's, it's, the flies are there. They, they recognize the flies. They don't care. Um, but we sit there worried about, worried about them for the flies. And it's just because we don't necessarily understand. And we may come in with all the wrong um, opportunities for them because we aren't listening to what their needs are. And I think that now social media and technology and, and the ability for people to voyeuristically live through um, these stories, they actually can see what those needs are more clearly and ask really critical questions like, where is my money going? What am I doing on behalf of this person? And how can I be really helpful versus, um, you know, sending, you know, raid or something to like kill yeah. flies? You know, you're, you're not, you're not in that position anymore where you can be ignorant. It's a choice now. It's like I, I, I liken it to like kind of um, being an agnostic. I mean, are you an honest one or a dishonest one? Are you choosing to ignore what's happening around you and pretend like um, you, you don't understand it? Or B, are you pursuing it and trying to figure out the answers? And that's, that's really what I feel like technology gives you the opportunity to do now that you never really could do before. Right. So it's interesting too the idea of technology and storytelling. And, you know, I'll kind of back up here a little bit and like I'll kind of throw Santa Gold under the bus a little bit because like I really like her as a musician. I like her. Who? Santa Gold. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Go and for like, it. you know, she's really cool. I've interviewed her. She seems like a really awesome person. I like her music. She's awesome. But, you know, she has said very publicly she's very ambivalent about social media and sharing and she's just not into it. And I, I, I feel like she – maybe just she doesn't understand the sort of storytelling purpose of it. And I feel like there's sort of a, a divide now between artists who are using social as just sort of like here are my tour dates – and then artists who are using it to really tell stories. So why do you think some artists are like resistant to it or maybe they just haven't come around to it or maybe it's just like that's not their preferred way to tell a story? I, I have I have this um, conversation with Santi um, <laughs> a lot and it's it's not that easy for a lot of people to do social media. I mean, you know, uh, it's for, for artists and I, I don't want to challenge who's a real artist, who's not. But for some very, you know, significant and real artists like Santigold, who is is such a purist and such a such a beautiful example of how um, music should be made, you know, she's she's thoughtful, she's consistent, she's very um, she's very into the illusion that she's bringing to you. Um, social media is a is a revealing tool. It's not something that you necessarily want to have in your life. Like you don't want people to see everything that you're doing because it takes away from the magic of that moment that she she brings you what she's going to bring you next. And so for her, it's like, what am I supposed to tell everybody? I at this very moment, I'm working on what I'm going to 
put out next? Do you want to see everything before it comes out? Well, then there's nothing for you to see when I bring it to you. So to a lot of artists, social media is, is a is both a blessing and a curse. It's an act it's act actually like a conduit to our fans, but at the exact same time, it's it's also like you know, a fire hose and, and it feels like we're giving everything away. Um, and so it's really frustrating to a lot of talent. I've had that conversation with a lot of people. Emma Stone, for example, doesn't have any social media. I think she has a private, a couple of private accounts or something, but, um, you know, she, she had Twitter for like a, I don't know, a week or something. She got 1.4 million followers. She didn't even tweet and then she deleted it. Um, it's because it just it's how does that going to help her act? How is that going to help her movie? Like at the end of the day, she wants to be a better actor than she is a tweeter. I mean, that, I, you got to respect that. Yeah, I get that. And look, like not everything is is good for everyone. I mean, I'm not on Snapchat because it's for teenagers, or in my mind, it's for teenagers. <laughs> right. um, but I feel like the you know it's again i respect if people don't want to be on certain platforms or just want to be private that's absolutely 100% they're right but i just there are feel people like- there are people like dj Khaled who oh, yeah. who like Amazing. literally like he, everything he says just because of the way he says it like it's groundbreaking when he says something like that you're literally going to think i i don't know i don't care what he says as long as he says it i'm going to watch that um those are people. There are people who are built to do this, who like who live and breathe it. Um, but then it gets sort of interesting because, like DJ and DJ Khaled is on the cover of Bloomberg Business Week right now, so this is kind of crazy. But you know, I don't know how many people know DJ Khaled's music, right? Like right. the average. And yeah, I was thinking about Action Bronson, right? Like Action Bronson has a TV show on Vice. I, probably not going to say the name on the air because we might get a rating increase, but it's, you know, something, something it's delicious. Anyway, it's a great show. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love it. It's, it's a funny show. It is crazy. I love watching him eat weird stuff, you yeah. know, but I don't know that I've ever listened to an action Bronson song all the way through. Like, right. I, you know, he's not a musician in my mind. He's like a, fat guy who eats stuff on TV and Khaled like I know he's a musician again if you held a gun to my head and asked me to hum one of his songs I would be dead right he's like the guy who got lost on a jet ski and snapchatted it which was great but at a certain point like you know like 50 cent I think made more money being a vitamin water pitchman than he did as a rapper of course and i feel like at what point do you stop being an artist and you start just being like a social media person or a pitch person i think i think that's uh i think that's really one of the major points to be discussed right i think people people now have found it that Let's just put it like this. Like I think that artists like Khaled and um, Action Bronson and otherwise, we we all get put into a position where we are challenged. Like we're challenged by finance. We're challenged by our ability to reach an audience. We're challenged by as many different. Yeah, there's nothing to say that if DJ Khaled didn't have Snapchat, that he wouldn't disappear, or that if Action Bronson um wasn't didn't have vice that he wouldn't you know uh fall away as well as an artist i mean what you have to realize is that 
less than half of 1% of the artists ever signed to major labels recoup the money that it costs to make their record, let alone make money. And that's even smaller of a percentage now. That was years ago that that was the right percentage. So you have to realize that and also recognize that if you're trying to be in the music business, if you want to be an artist in the music business, being signed or having that first look or being seen in a magazine or having your first performance on um, Jimmy Fallon or whatever does not mean you made it. Does not mean that you're successful. Does not mean that you're going to be here forever from now on. That's just it. You're, you've arrived. It means you've just begun and that you have a lot of work to do to actually maintain that. And sometimes there's a fork in the road where, where there's a path that no one can dip into your pocket and that you are now a personality and you can sell that personality and make money versus the other fork in the road where you might have to work your ass off for the next XYZ amount of years to actually make it. And some people choose the social path, which is the one that no one dips in your pocket for, instead of grinding it out on the other side. And no one can fault them for it because at the end of the day, like um, it's quality of life question marks. You know, Who knows what's best for who? Yeah, um, and there's no like, you know, I, I mean, I think the, the idea of making it is kind of a ridiculous one. Like until the day you like die, that's kind of when you've made it. Because even if you've made it as one thing, there are many other things to to make it as. Right. You know, there's like Mick Jagger makes it every day. You know, I mean, he, right. I mean, when was the point where Mick Jagger was like, you know, like someone like him, he's never stopped. He's he's never said. I mean, the guy is a castle, and he's like still touring and still out there doing stuff. And. Yeah. You know, I think the other thing is too, like people's goals and ambitions do change. I mean, look at how often people switch careers, people that are in their 20s. You know, everyone's switching jobs, switching careers and pivoting. And, you know, it's like for Action Bronson to to decide like, hey, I'm going to do less music and more like eating crazy food on tape and putting it on Vice, like – you know, yeah. that's just a decision that he made. And whether that's an artistic decision or a financial decision or like food is awesome decision, yeah. like it's yeah, all kind exactly. of, you know, I, I feel like the the one piece of it, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. The one piece of advice that I tend to give to young musicians who come to me as sort of a music business person and say like, hey, what do I do? How do I do this? The one thing I always say to them is like, there's multiple paths to creativity and there's multiple ways to be creative. And only one of those ways involves a traditional music experience where you like record songs and record albums and sign to a label and go on tour and make a music video. Like that's a traditional path and that's totally fine if that's the path you choose to pursue. But there are many other ways to be a creative human being, whether that's teaching or making music for brands or, you know, however you want to spin it, like, you know, maybe you you, I know people that have stopped playing music and learned how to write code, and to them, that's just as creatively fulfilling as sure. writing songs because they're creating something really interesting just in a different language. So, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like how people's creativity. I mean, you have so many different projects that are all creative endeavors, but sure. they're not all music. No, I mean, I I think you're you're right. I think that music is a gateway um, if you are a musical creator. And you have that kind of, um, you have that in you. Um, you have the idea, the best ideas in the world 
um, are built in the way that you write a song. Are you you have to make an intro, you have to write the first verse, you have to get to the chorus, you have to go to the second verse, get to a double chorus, bridge, which is usually uniting everyone, and then you have to hage you on out. And I think that that's pretty much how I build things myself as an artist. I look at it like, how do I make an intro to a new idea? How am I going to explain that I'm going to go climb a mountain or I'm going to redesign or reimagine a social platform or I'm going to start a project um, with, you know, uh, it, with music in mind that's philanthropic? How do I introduce it? And then how do I get to the verse, which is where I explain myself and I try to bring as many new, new people and people who are listening to me, new people to this vision that I have and then have a chorus with them where then they go out on the second verse and communicate for me and develop with me so that we have a double chorus because we have more people involved and then bridge it all and then finally get to the point where we're all together on something. There are ways to creatively pursue everything. Um, it's your perspective. It's your choice. And you're right. Action Bronson could just love the hell out of food and want to do that. And that's who he is um, as well. It's not that it's not one or the other. It's just that he's chosen to do this more now um, for whatever reason. It could be financial. It could be just because that's what he enjoys. I think the same thing applies to any person who wants to get into the pursuit of, you know, a creative future. It's never going to be exactly what you imagine it to be because it is a creative path. And I think uh, Mark Foster from Foster the People and I went to Haiti um, in October and we were there with um, the kids at the Quincy Jones uh, Music School. And Mark described it best when it came down to writing a song. And I think it comes down to doing anything creative. He said, it's, it's not like, um, inspiration is not like uh, uh, a dog. It's more like a cat. <laughs> It shows up when it wants to. It allows you to pet it for as long as it wants to. And then it definitely just goes when it wants to. And you don't really have a choice in that. But you follow the inspiration or you you may like be more chill for a while longer so that that, that cat can stay with you for a while longer. And you can use that inspiration to develop any vision that you might have. Um, but the path, as long as you choose a creative one, um, is, is never fun when it's traditional. I can't say never. I'll just say it's not traditionally fun. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk you know. about traditional terminology because, you know, I alluded to this in the introduction a little bit. But yeah. you use the term sonic now, which is really how you describe your music and your project and your um, averse to the term song and the, in the term sonic, you, you think, and correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, has, has a much broader implication. A sonic can be anything from a snippet, an idea. It can be a traditional three and a half minute pop song. It can be 20 minutes of noodling on a guitar. Like a sonic is much more broad. So I'd love to hear how you sort of came up with the term and what it means to you. Yeah. You know, I think, I think just the same as I, was speaking earlier about um, about how art and cause are inextricably linked, and if there was no music industry, we would be buskers, and that the internet is the biggest third street promenade in the world. Um, it's about perspective. It's really about seeing um, 
the internet as something different than what you what we all traditionally know it as and deciding that it is the conduit and it is the way that we pursue things the same thing has to apply to everything if we decide to innovate there in our mindset and choose social media as a way to communicate to our fans and be a part of this this movement for our music and for our art then we should also innovate everything around it and it shouldn't just be um, in one part of our business, it should be the entirety of our business. But people are afraid to do it. People are lazy to do it. Um, and I think that you start with the thing that you do the most. And I think that um, the word album is antiquated at this point. We don't we don't literally record albums as much, and we don't do it like we used to. It's not a lot of people don't even make albums. They just make a song, or they'll make. Uh, a music video and it's not even um, a song that they're going to release. It's just a music video that has a song in it. It may be so many different permutations. So to me, the idea of a sonic is, is a intent. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's anything that you imagine it to be. It's that that's impetus is sound and is frequencies of musical frequencies and your ability to pull them together um, in whatever form it is. So if I make a series of content that has music in it, it would be that sonic. It would not necessarily be an album because it's not necessarily an album. Um, they might be shorter than three minutes and 30 seconds. They may be 30 seconds each. They may be five minutes each. Who knows exactly? But my idea is that having having the ability or having the balls to speak up and say, you know what, that's dead. How about we start with something else and see how it goes? To me, Sonic just fits well. It covers a lot of bases. Um, I happen to love naming conventions, so I'll come up with everything I can at any time I can. So I'm just introducing it. A lot of my friends are starting to say it. It's really fun to hear them call me and talk to me about Sonics when I they know that I I made it up. But, but um, the hope is that we can just innovate. If it's not Sonic, it should be something. And same thing applies with a lot of other parts of our business. Like, I don't think we should call publishing publishing anymore. I think it should just be called rights management. And I don't think that we should have uh, distinctions between our likenesses and signing them over on masters. We should have them only a part of our rights management, for example. Like, just little things like that that change the way we we are able to create our businesses and be smart about um, our sustainability as artists. I think that's, that's why Sonic is important to me is because I feel like it's just a beginning or one of the, one of the other beginnings that are already overtaking the industry. But so let me ask you this, you know, why do then 99.9% of artists still put out albums? Like I, you know, I, in, 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 <laughs> it just bothers you, doesn't it? It, it is like it trips here's you. Here's the thing: you know, yeah. there are some artists who make incredible albums as bodies of work, right? Kendrick Lamar yeah. to Pimp a Butterfly yeah. is a story, okay. right? It's an incredible body of work. The tracks flow together. It's really well. Like that should not have been a bunch of singles. That should have been an album. I look at, you know, there are plenty of albums that tell a story start to finish. The songs were like. I'm not saying the album format is categorically dead, but what I am saying is like, 
you know, not to throw Katy Perry under the bus, although I'm sure she's not listening, but like, do we really need a Katy Perry album? Like, people are just listening to singles anyway, and it's much smarter if she puts out a new song every other month than just putting out an album and having the album release be, like, the big thing. Like, I would much rather have a fun song every month than have to wait for an album and the whole hype cycle around it. First of all, I'd have to say, be careful. Katy fans are everywhere. Oh, I'm and sure. So I, I like Katy Perry. I just think it's totally dumb that she puts out an album. Go left on you. Um, she has a rabid fan base, right? So they want an album. I think that I, again, it's I. You're right. Like you know, Kendrick's album is an album. I'm not saying that the album is dead. I'm just saying the terminology album should be dead because we should actually elevate ourselves to a new uh, communication about our work. His his Sonic is. Uh, like his symphony. I mean, it's it's a beautiful um, amalgamation of sounds and song that that make up this vision and communication that he's put into the world. Is it an album? Yeah, technically it is. And cool, if everyone wants to call it that. I think that as we move forward, though, um, giving it a new title allowing it to be something else so that we can actually start to evolve how we imagine it. If he had decided not to put out just songs like that, if he had decided to make a film with all those songs in it and never actually released the song portion of it, but it was all attached to video, what would you call that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a you film know, that's or the, like a, yeah, I mean, it's a musical, I guess, like a, you know, I mean, like you, Hamilton. Then, I don't yeah, know. That's, that's the question mark, right? Is it a, is it a musical? So that's, that's the thing i think that a new term for album i don't know why people um some people make albums some people don't i'm sure katie perry believes that what she's making has a has a congruency in it um and that that whole that whole body of work matters to her and i think it's okay for that to be that way but i just think that in the long in the long run we all need to agree to uh, the fact there has to be something overarching music that allows us to explain what it is that we might be doing if it's a little bit different or if it's a little skewed from very you know traditional terminology. And I think sonic for me is my way of saying, here's a word that represents everything. You can't really decide that it doesn't. It does. Like So use it at will to explain what you're doing when it doesn't make sense to anybody. So this is a totally out of left field. Have you ever seen BoJack Horseman on Netflix? No, I haven't. Okay. You should watch it, even if you're not a TV person, because it's okay. very it's very sad and very funny and very well done. Okay. So if you haven't seen the show, this makes this is a little harder to explain, but basically um in an episode of the show, a Quentin Tarantino like character is making a movie with Bojack Horseman and some other characters. And right. Bojack's roommate slash the dude who lives on his couch is there and they start sort of he and the Quentin Tarantino character start reimagining the movie. So it goes from being a traditional movie to being something else and the story uh-huh. changes. And eventually it, it through a long series of of jokes and funny things, it becomes a monthly cure bi-monthly curated box of snacks. That's how they choose <laughs> to tell the story of of these other characters falling in love. Is yeah. it somehow goes from like a traditional romantic comedy to a bi-monthly curated box of snacks? <laughs> now that's 
an extreme example. And it's yeah. very, and I'm telling it poorly. It's much more. No, it's, it's much, actually really well said. If that's any much close, funnier. close to it. Yeah. It's like much funnier in the TV show. But the point is, you know, like it's, it's a ridiculous way to explain the fact that people need to be more open to other forms of creative expression and the best way to tell a story. Right. So yeah. the thing that I've said, and I'm sure you agree is the best, way to tell a story is the best way to tell that story. And whether that's an album like to pimp a butterfly, whether it's, uh, you know, a remix of a song, whether it's like 30 seconds with cool pictures, whether it's, you know, Hamilton, like Hamilton stands alone as a collection of songs, but obviously Hamilton, the musical, although I still don't have tickets yet, but I've heard (laughs) enough about it to know that it's brilliant, you know, there. So I feel like one of the sort of challenges going forward is, you know, what are the different ways to best tell a story? And maybe that loops back to the DJ Khaled thing where DJ Khaled's story is better told through like jet ski Snapchats than yeah. it is maybe through a song. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think we've all witnessed, you know, in the history of music that the, 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 the projects that have been heard or seen in the, in the past or the, artists that have been launched that are coupled with visuals and coupled with getting to know them as individuals. American Idol is a very great example of like, you know, family packages that they should throw up in front of you about that person and where they're from and what they've done to get to this point, et cetera, et cetera. Those things imbue a certain kind of connectivity that allow you to, to feel like you're a part of that person's life and their story. And I think that that's what social media is supposed to do um, and how it's used in Khaled's cases is to benefit um, benefit him in the way that people get to know who he is. I don't know that pe- you said it yourself. You, you, I don't know that people will know him for his music because he has such a big following as a personality. Um, I think that when it comes down to what we're saying earlier about giving people an opportunity to, to use new terminology or otherwise just being able to give people an opportunity to, to think more creatively or choose to um, take that inspiration from wherever they get it from and go down a non-traditional path or an asymmetrical path. Like those things, those things are what advances us. Those are the things that advance us. And um, as Khaled has chosen to go down this other path, which is, his way of advancing his world, each person to their own. Um, I just believe that we have to be critical of ourselves as artists and um, people of our, our industry and our world and, and create more than we do and innovate more than we do and decide to do more than we do in order to actually, um, be able to be the owners of our future versus it being dictated to us and um, boxed up in packages that we don't necessarily agree with, like albums, for example. Yeah. So let's talk about music tech a little bit. Um, You know, you obviously worked with the relaunch of MySpace. You've had some other really cool projects. So I put out a piece earlier, well, last week, actually, that basically you know, basically posited that the music startup ecosystem, as we have known it for the last, you know, five or six years, is really nearing its end. We've seen a ton of companies go under, a ton of companies not be able to raise more money. 
those that are raising money are struggling and yep. you know we we've hit the the bubble has burst at least in music tech and i think in a lot of other tech as well but music tech i think has been hit especially hard for a number of reasons so you know i'd love to hear first of all if there are any startups that you really like right now cuz i don't i'm always happy to hear positivity about music startups right. given right. How, given how dark everything is right now and also you know, why do you think we've hit this point and how do you think things are going to move forward and hopefully potentially improve or at least change? I mean, I think that we, we have hit, um, a wall. I think it's because for the most part, people can only handle so much information and they're already fatigued by as many different platforms that do exist, let alone hearing about new ones that might, um, take their attention away from where their friends live. I think it comes down to um, how best an individual can communicate with other individuals in their lives about something that they've listened to or found and how that might be easy for that other person to find as well. Like if, if you're on Spotify, you're on Spotify. You're not changing to some other platform because the majority of your friends, your playlists and things that you've already built are in one place. So. Um, and I think that even though it's an emerging market, um, people tend to go to where everybody else is. They congregate. So that's that's a challenge for new music businesses in general. And there's no silver bullet anymore. Like That's the thing overall in tech. It's just not a silver bullet business anymore. It's now um, really much more about how you aggregate the powers of multiple things or um, how you develop... Uh, you know, within a space where it's unique and it's curated or highly curated. And I think um, I'd, I'd mentioned this to you, I think, before, but one of my favorite platforms, and I've been using it, and I'd, I, one of my friends is the founder, is, is uh, Undertone, which is U-N-D-R-T-O-N-E. Um, Undertone is really cool. I love that platform, but I love it for many reasons. It's like Instagram for music. It uses all of your other platforms, so you can be on Spotify or you can be on um, you know, SoundCloud or otherwise, and sign up into this platform, which is kind of an aggregator. And and you can post things and you can listen to music. But what's really cool about Scott is he's a music supervisor and all of his friends are music supervisors and or um, Minka Kelly, which she's a music aficionado and dropped it gorgeous. So I just mentioned her for the sake of argument. And um you have these amazing people on the platform playing music that they love and sharing it with each other. And you're automatically signed up to a number of them. You can unfollow them if you choose, but um, that would be boring because you wouldn't really see all this great new music that comes in. That kind of a platform is cool to me because I'm being super served great music that I don't have to, I don't have to believe a computer or an algorithm through in my face, or it's promoted by a label or um, it's being, you know, developed by certain people who are uh, friendly with the CEO of some company that I subscribe to, it gives me a chance to really just listen to great music. Um, I like platforms like that. I don't know how many there are out there, to be honest. I've stepped out of music tech a little bit um, in the last year. Um, but but I think that uh, Scott has a real passion for that, and he's building and developing platforms around it. It's the same people who created We Are Hunted, that developed undertone with him. Um, and I think they get it, you know? So I think it's difficult for a lot of businesses in general in tech 
to raise um, yeah. right now. But, but music is definitely hit hardest because it's an intangible. It floats. It's available. It's small. And it's easy to MP3 send on an email, you know, so, um, and stream anywhere. So I, I, I don't know that it's ever going to get easier for music. Yeah. Well, can I thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us? If, yeah. uh, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? They can find me and my musical self at Kenna.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram as okay. Kenna Twitter as okay. Kenna Facebook as OK Kenna, Snapchat, OK Kenna. So I'm everywhere. OK Kenna. Awesome. Well, OK Kenna, thank you so much. <laughs> Have a great rest of your day. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye bye. That's all for this episode of the Music Biz Podcast. Thank you to Hypebot for helping us put this show out. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please send me an email at kyle.belin at gmail.com. That's kyle.bylin at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion.